gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. You know why? It's hurricane season. The new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami. Surge, surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami. Welcome back to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro uh, from The Athletic, your Miami Hurricanes beat writer. I almost forgot where I worked there for a second. Um, I'm doing this week's show without Kelvin Harris. Kelvin has a couple things that he's, a couple errands that he's running, but I've got a more than worthy substitute, Walter Villa, uh, one of the best uh, sports writers. In South Florida, best editors, best friends, one of the best guys in South Florida is the best way I could I could describe it. Yeah, him. but I've heard Kelvin on this show, man. He's good on the show, a lot of inside information. Anybody who hasn't listened to him should. Uh, plus, he's, he's cooler than me. So, uh, you know, but I have followed the team for a long time. And I also feel like I know what you want to talk about today, Navarro. You want to talk about Hurricanes recruiter. I feel like I did in, in 10th grade. When I haven't studied for a test because you sent me the email of everything you wanted me to, and you gave it to me like three seconds ago, uh, I'm not Evelyn Wood speed reader, so I'll do my best to follow along. Now, here's the one thing I got to tell you about Walter. Okay, he, he he's covered a lot of different uh, sports teams in South Florida, um, including FIU football for the Miami Herald. Um, but really, uh, he, he was, he's my mentor. He's the guy who helped me sort of become a writer at the Miami Herald way, way, way many, many years ago. And we do another podcast, by the way, called Front Page 305. We launched it a couple of months ago. And Walter, uh, myself, Andre Fernandez, uh, the three of us do it together. And we've been in South Florida forever. We talk about all the sports teams. Um, so we do that together. And so there, there's a little bit of a rapport here between me and Walter and, and maybe too many inside jokes that we may laugh at and you may not get. <laughs> so I'll try to keep it as basic as possible here as we go forward. But basically, I wanted to pick up, Walter, where, where I left off last week, because, look, t- it, today as we record, this is four o'clock Thursday afternoon, August 27th, two weeks from now. If all goes well, the Miami Hurricanes will be kicking off the season against UAB and so far, so good, right? They've been able to get through two scrimmages, uh, no positive COVID tests, knock on wood somewhere. Um, everything has sort of worked out the way Manny Diaz wanted it to work out this offseason um, to the point where two, they're two weeks away from kickoff and it looks like it's going to happen. Now, other schools have had dates move. Virginia Tech, NC State just moved their game from September 12th to September 26th because of positive COVID tests at NC State. I mean, other schools have, have sort of had the same issue. Um, so we'll see. We still got two weeks to go. But instead of giving you a traditional breakdown and just telling you, you know, repeating all the information that I'm sure you've heard other outlets and other people tweet, I try to give you guys a little bit of a different perspective. Last week, we looked at the team from the perspective of Manny Diaz's recruits, basically the guys that are part of the last two re- recruiting cycles. Walter listened to that show. He called me and he said, terrible show, just terrible. I was <laughs> bored to tears, and I, you got to do a better job. So bring me in. I will do a much better job than Kelvin Harris. Just bring me in, and it's going to be better. That's not what I said. I'm being misquoted. Yes. Now, he didn't say that, but he did say that we need, we could have used an upgrade entertainment. He, he would never disparage Kelvin Harris. He loves Kelvin Harris. He, he loves the chemistry Kelvin and I have. He says that it's a great combination of jock uh, and stupid sports writer. So it works well. <laughs> um, but I, I, I brought Walter in, and, we, and today we're giving you two 
stupid sports writers instead of the stupid sports writer <laughs> and the jock. And and we're going to talk about this team from the perspective of the upperclassmen, the guys that Mark Richt recruited to this program. And obviously, look, it comes with a caveat, right? Manny Diaz was on the staff. He was a defensive coordinator. He was a part of the recruiting of these players. But I think when you look at a, a Walter, uh, well, Walter, you look at a roster, Walter, I think you and I as, as sports writers, we always look at from the perspective of, especially with a new coach or a second-year coach, what is the percentage of players on the team that are his recruits versus the previous coach's recruits, right? It's something that you do as an objective journalist before you start making comments and, and say, say, hey, I think this team, you know, this coach is terrible and, or he, he, he's not winning. He, he's winning with somebody else's players, right? That's what they said about Larry Coker. All of those players that won the 2001 National Championship were recruited by Butch Davis. So I think a good way to gauge a coach always is, what is the percentage of the roster that's his, and what is the percentage of the roster that is the previous guy? And so, can I stop you there? Yes, go ahead. Question for you and your your great expertise as the best Hurricanes uh, sports writer and in, uh, in the country. Of course, not everybody in the country covers the, the uh, Hurricanes, so a bit of a backhanded compliment. But the the best in this in this market. So my question is. Since Manny Diaz was on staff, it wasn't like he was hired from outside. How much say does a defensive coordinator in general and Manny Diaz maybe in particular have on the recruits? Maybe on does he sign off on everybody on the defensive side of the ball? Is that how it works in your well, experience? Well, I, I tend to think that ultimately the head coaches, just, just so you know the way that this works from, from covering this as many years as I have, my understanding is the head coach sets the number, right? It's the head coach's job to look at – Okay, this is how many guys we could lose at this position, either to the draft, transfer, whatever. We need X amount of guys at this position. So the head coach tells the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, let's let's look to get one or two quarterbacks in this class. Let's get, look to get two or three running backs in this class. For the most part, it's a mutual decision. The entire staff is involved, right? I mean, they have these coaches' meetings. They sort of create a board where all of these recruits are up and they have names and a pecking order of who who sort of is a committable offer, who is not a committable offer, who is a guy that's sort of a second-tier recruit, somebody that you would go after if the other guys don't pan out. So ultimately, the the fingerprints of the head coach are always all over it, more so than the coordinators, because the coordinators, while they communicate with the head coach and say, hey, I, I want... You know, I think we need to do this to make our team better. We need to do that to make our team better. Ultimately, the head coach is the guy who hands out the scholarships, right? He's the guy who who has to uh, uh, sign on the dotted line and approve it. And he, he's the guy that ultimately organizes the recruiting department, sets directives. It's he's he's the guy that overlooks the program. So, yes, while Manny Diaz had input, he certainly has changed things, Walter, from from the days when Mark Richt was here. Number one, he got rid of the recruiting coordinator that Miami had, right? That's one of the first things that he did. And then he right. hired three guys. He created two new positions in his recruiting department to make it a three-man staff versus what Mark Richt had. So, yes, if you're going to if your question essentially is how different is Manny Diaz's recruiting uh scheme from what Mark Rick did. I think it's vastly different, and I think you can definitely differentiate and say there is a difference between Mark Richt and Manny Diaz's and, recruiting tactics. And then Manny, they go by areas, and and they also go by positions. In other words, I know um, coaches, you know, in South Florida, they probably all chip in, but somebody may have uh, Texas that's been pretty, you know, good, or right. Louisiana, or there's, Georgia. There's definitely some regionalization, but I think for the most part. 
Well, the, the regionalization is more about identifying. In other words, if you, you know, say there's three coaches that are dispatched to Dade County, three to Broward County, and then on top of that, they have different parts of the state and the country. Um, their job is to talk to the coaches, to go to those regions, find out who the players are, um, identify them, see them in person, and then go back to the position coach when they have their meetings to say, hey, I saw this offensive lineman at this school in Texas. I think you know you should go out there and take a look. And then what happens is the offensive line coach will go out there and make a visit. So it's sort of – it's a system that there's a lot of communication between the, the coaches and, and it's sort of a group effort. In the end, the position coaches take on the primary role with the recruits once it gets to the nitty-gritty. I, um, I did a story, as you mentioned, that I cover FIU for the Herald, and I, and I did a story on Janu Smith, one of the most successful players in, in, in program history. He's, um, I believe, a starting tight end now for the Tennessee Titans. And he was kind of a overgrown wide receiver, I believe, in uh, Ocala. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, – this is the previous staff before Butch. And one of the things they told me, and I wonder – I'm assuming Miami does the same thing, but he said – I don't know, there's 538 high schools in Florida, and they they make it a point every year they visit physically each and every one of those high schools, somebody in the staff. They went to Ocala, and they basically did one of those things. Who's that dude? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's a wide receiver. And he was kind of an overgrown wide receiver. They, They liked him, made him a tight end. Now he's a fast tight end. And that's how they got one of the best players, you know, to come through there. So I'm assuming Miami, the same thing they, in Florida, since it's their state and so right. fertile, they have somebody has got to stop in each and every one of those high schools. Yeah, I think basically the it's the old Howard Schnellenberger rule, right? Anything I four south is supposed to be the state of Miami. And I think right. I think ultimately Miami does its homework at every single school south of I four. I think beyond that, it's a matter of. Uh, connections, relationships, um, the recruiting department doing their homework, identifying guys on film, uh, communicating with those coaches, and then setting up meetings where where the position coaches or those coaches that are, that go into that region stop by and visit. Most of it is done during the spring, Walter. A lot of this recruiting is done now, um, or was supposed to be done in the spring this year, and so that's what's going to make sort of the twenty two class really really interesting because while coaches are always looking at guys two and three years ahead. To have an entire spring where you don't go anywhere because of the COVID-19 virus, you don't get that opportunity to, to put your feet on campus and start to establish those relationships. It's going to make the 2020 recruiting cycle, I think, really, really interesting because um, while, while coaches have phone numbers and they can call, it's different when you go and you watch a kid in person, you see his habits, you see what he's like away from the field when he's not practicing, uh, when he's working out, how he carries himself in school. There's so many other issues that come into player evaluation, and that was missed in this cycle. So it'll be interesting. Um, but th- listen, it's it, recruiting is a serious business, and that's why I think doing a podcast like this, writing stories like this where you look at it from a different perspective, where, you, where you're not just – Okay, let me look at the individual recruiting class, or let me look at the the position. You can sort of tell a different story, a story, a, a much more rich story in the sense of how how did Miami get in this position? How did they get to the point where they couldn't get right. a quarterback that worked, for instance, or they couldn't get an offensive lineman, or they couldn't? Why are they so bad at defensive tackle? Whatever the issue is, I think looking at it through this lens provides a much better, richer perspective that get, that, that that helps fans better understand why the team is in the situation it's in. And, and I know you, you're going to get down to the breakdown, I think, 2016, 2017, and 2018 from what I see from the notes that you sent yeah. me three seconds before we went on the air. Yes, I appreciated <laughs> but, you doing uh, this, by the way, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no worries. But but 
but before you do that, I guess one thing I find interesting, I love recruiting. And since you and I met oh, oh so many years ago, it's something that we, we talked about and bonded over to, the, you know, how important this is. They always say the lifeblood of a co- college football program, but it's interesting and get your take on this because when you're, when you're FIU or even I was reading, I think it's North Dakota state, they have a quarterback this year, another one from there who's top 15 in the whole draft, right? Mm-hmm. Forget the kid's name. But so anytime North Dakota State gets somebody like that, that means Ohio State and Miami and every other power five school in the country missed. They missed out on that kid. And for FIU, same thing. You know, John New Smith, that means everybody missed. T.Y. Hilton, the greatest player in their history, everybody missed. And he was a Miami guy. Maybe they thought he was too small, whatever the story may be. So I wonder when Miami was just coming up with Howard and stuff like that, they probably got guys like that that were, overlooked, hungry, still talented. Is Miami still getting that type of player? Are, are, are they missing out on, on that, that kid that for whatever reason, everybody, everybody just, uh, nah, there's, a, ain't got there's it. always going to be guys who fall through the cracks. Technically Gregory Rousseau fell through the cracks. I mean, he was a three-star recruit who beyond, you know, Miami and Nebraska, I don't know that there were many schools that were really hot ha- recruiting him hard. Um, you know, and, and yet Mark Richt identified him, him and his staff and Manny Diaz right. identified him early and said, OK, we're going to make him a priority before everybody else jumps in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's guys. And he was a wide receiver. He was a wide receiver at, at Hialeah Champagnat. And, but they they knew that he was going to yeah. excel because of his physique with his long arms and his athleticism that he would be a dominant that's defensive good. end. That's 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 the secret yeah, that's to good this projection order. on their part. And, and and that's really the yeah. trick. It's being able to project what these guys are because so many of them, let's face it, uh look, Champagnat has won state championships and, and they're a good program now where they've had some good coaching the last few years. But a lot of kids play in programs where they don't necessarily get great coaching or the coach isn't necessarily looking to develop them to the next level. They're playing out of position. They have to play the kid at quarterback when reality is he should be a receiver, but they have him at quarterback because he's their best athlete. So there's a lot of different things that go into it. Um, But, yeah, there's still misses, and there will always be misses because I think sometimes um, kids don't have enough promotion. They don't don't go to camps, right? They don't go to these off-season summer camps and these seven-on-sevens because they can't afford to. Um, and so they'll kind of be like the little hidden gem. But I think for the most part, the days of finding an Ed Reed in the middle of Louisiana, who, by the way, Ed Reed was an all-state selection. It wasn't like he was hidden anywhere, okay? He was really, really good, just didn't mm-hmm. get a lot of offers. Um, I, I think, you know, those days are gone. If you're really talented, somebody's going to no. find you these days for the most part. We just talked that they're not gone. The North Dakota State well, quarterback. I, I, the, the- I, I think it's – I'll put it to you this way. What, not gone. You, not completely gone, but I think it's a lot harder for those things to happen now. I think just because okay. of technology, everybody's on huddle, um, everybody's got their film somewhere. It's a different world. So coaches, if they're doing a good job, they're not going to let that happen. They're, they're going to be on top of somebody and find find the hidden gem, so to speak. So, um, look, last week we broke down the, the 52 players um, that Manny Diaz has signed since uh, taking over for Mark Richt. 47 of those guys are still on the roster. We ranked them for you. Um, I went back and I looked at the 2016, 17, and 18 classes and said, okay, well, how many of those guys are left? And essentially it's 27 of the 66 players that Mar- that signed with Miami under Mark Richt from 2016 to 2018. 39 of those guys, of course, are gone. 
Um, and, and it's interesting, Walter, every time you go back and you do this little thing where you review each signing class and what happened to the guys, because to me, it tells you the story of, well, how, why was Miami seven and six? Or why were they six and seven? Why did they lose to Louisiana Tech in the bowl game? Well, roster, uh, management is a huge deal. And if you, and if you miss on recruits and you, and you keep having, um, you know, guys leave the program left and right, and you don't have much in the way of seniors and juniors, um, that are really contributors to your program, odds are you're going to, you're not going to be very good. And so, um, my research, I'll, I'll spin through this as fast as I can without putting you to sleep because I put you to sleep last week and I don't want to do that to you this week. <laughs> um, Let's just go back. I'm going to give you some of the highlights here. As I mentioned, 66 players signed by Mark Rick from 2016 to 2018. Okay, 39 are gone. What's left? 27 players. One from the class of 2016. That's Zach McLeod, the linebacker who stuck around for the extra year. 11 from 2017 and 15 from 2018. Okay, seven players left early for the NFL draft from the last few uh, recruiting classes. Joe Jackson, Travis Homer, Jeff Thomas, Trajan Bandy, DJ Dallas, Jonathan Garvin, Gregory Rousseau. Seven left early for the draft. None of those guys were drafted higher than the fourth round, although Greg Rousseau Except obviously. Except for Rousseau. You mentioned right. Rousseau, Rousseau will be. Rousseau but, will be. But, but as far as the previous six, none drafted higher than, than the fourth round. Go ahead. I know you want but, to. But, yeah, I jump in there a second. That's. When you say out of 66, only 27 are left, I don't really mind that kids leave because if they if they can't eat here, they're going to leave and Miami will replace them with somebody better. But it is a particular problem for Miami that they haven't been that good lately, yet their guys are leaving to the pros. It's, that's something systemic in their in their program, whereas Clemson has been dominant and those guys are projected by the NFL as first or second round pick and they still come back. And so I don't know how that's going to be fixed because a lot of those guys that you mentioned, they, you can say that those guys all made mistakes because they could have come back another year, get their degree, uh, which I don't know if they did or not, but I'm assuming another year, either get their degree, work on their, on their graduate degree and, and, and get better and get more coaching, enhance their, their, you know, their stock. That NFL is still going to be there a year from now. So I don't know how that problem is fixed, Manny. I think the only way it's fixed is by player development and guys seeing the value of staying in school um, and, and continuing to develop as players. I mean, I think we, we all knew last year that Jeff Thomas didn't have a good year, and yet he still right. went to the draft. Now, obviously, some of these guys have financial issues. They have children. They have different reasons for wanting to go pro. Um, Jonathan Garvin didn't really have a great year either, and he went in the seventh round. Right. You know, is that is that the smart decision? Um No. DJ Dallas went in the fourth round. He was a better player, but again, could DJ Dallas have come back and made himself a, more money and maybe a better draft pick by coming back a senior year? That's a debatable question. Trajan Bandy had a great sophomore year, had a very average junior year. And what happened? He goes undrafted because he's short and he's not a big guy. Um, you know, Travis Homer and Joe Jackson left the year prior to that. Joe, I thought, was a really good player. I think he ended up going as a fifth rounder, maybe just didn't do well enough in the combine. And He might get cut this year. I think he's in Dallas. Yeah, and then Travis Homer's in Seattle. He actually got some burn with the Seahawks last year at the end of the year because of injuries. But, again, he's viewed more as a special teams player. Look, these, it, there's no doubt these aren't the same level of players that Miami produced when they were winning national championships. I mean, when guys left this program, you had first-round picks. And, and I've talked about this ad nauseum here on this podcast, four first-round picks since 2010. 
four. I mean, that was like an average year for Miami during their during their prime. <laughs> you had four in an entire decade. So that shows you how far they've fallen off in terms of t- turning out elite talent. Um, so anyway, those are the seven guys that left early for the draft out of the 66. You had three guys, three guys lost to career-ending neck injuries, okay? And two of them were starters, Amon Richards, mm. Malik Young, okay? I think we all think uh, Amon Richards definitely would have been drafted, would have been a good player. Five players actually finished their careers all four years at Miami. Shaq Quarterman, Michael Pinckney, Romeo Finley, Pat Bethel, and Javante Dean, who was a, a junior college signee who only played here two years and ended up leaving after the 18 season. What does that tell you? When I tell you, Walter, that five out of the 66 actually finished their careers at Miami four years, I mean, does that not tell an entire story? Yeah, it it does, and uh, I think I think these kids are getting bad advice. And let's see if Manny, as you mentioned, Manny Diaz can change the culture because you remember um, all the quotes. Jimmy Johnson's been very open about it. He he regrets leaving Miami. I know it's a coach, as a player, but this is the most fun time in their life. Now, look, if a guy's going to be a first round pick, which is what is supposed to happen with Greg Rousseau, I don't think anybody in their right mind would have say any problem with the guy leaving because first round pick, you know, you're basically guaranteed a, a, a job there for four years. You can make a lot of money, but you're not guaranteed anything when you're in the seventh round, like Garvin, you're not guaranteed anything when you're undrafted free agent, they're better off even just for the fun aspect, come back another year, have a great year. There's so many things that can be gained by coming back. So I just, the decision-making uh, bothers me again, if a kid's a high round uh, draft pick, even the second round, Nobody would say that was a bad decision, but time and again, these guys have have left with high expectations and they get snubbed in the draft. And you would think the next year, the, the next guys would learn like, well, that didn't really go so well for so-and-so, but it keeps happening. Now, look, that number of five finishing their careers at Miami all four years is obviously going to grow because you're going to have some more guys here, I think, in the 2017 to 2018 classes. Zach McLeod is going to end up finishing his career here and not leaving early. Um, but – I think I think as a fan, again, I talk about educating yourself and learning the team and really learning and studying things. I think this is definitely a good way to look at it and, and really put things into perspective and say, well, man, why why has Miami sucked so much these last few years? Well, when you when you go five for sixty six, um, I mean that's a really terrible batting average, and it's going to get better. But I don't know how much better it's going to get because we're going to sit there and evaluate the the twenty seven guys still on the roster who are part of these recruiting classes. Um, but in the end, even if all 27 of those guys finish their careers at Miami, I mean, you're still batting, what, 32 for 66? That's still less than 500 in terms of getting four quality years out of players. So, look, 24 players have transferred out of this program. Some of them were just recruiting misses, guys that you say to yourself, man, what were you doing recruiting that guy? A few of those guys, I think, were just knuckleheads that just didn't fit in. They were problem guys that, that were, were mistakes. But I wanted to kind of go over – a few of the transfers before we get to the 27, because again, this paints the picture of what's transpired here at this program the last few years. I'm going to, I'm going to start with the 2016 class, uh, Walter, which was really Mark Rick's first full recruiting class. Um, and, and, you know, they signed uh, 19, was it? Yeah. 19 players. And they've got seven that ultimately finished their careers or left early for the draft. Okay. You had four-star receiver Sam Bruce, never got on the field at Miami, had off-the-field issues. Jack Allison. Gun issue. Yeah. Jack Allison, the quarterback 
who who uh, who transferred to West Virginia never really played at West Virginia either. I think he's going to his third school now. Statue. Yeah. Deontay Mullins. Yeah, I don't remember him. I mean, he was basically gone after a year, year or two. Um, Giovanni Haskins, a tight end out of New Jersey, a three-star kid. Nothing. Got nothing out of him. He left the program. Um, Cedric Wright, a safety out of Gulliver Prep, three-star kid. Nothing. Michael. Not the next Sean Taylor. No. Michael Irvin II, tight end. Not, not not the next Michael Irvin. Not the next Michael Irvin. Dayall Harris, a uh, community college wide receiver. I think he ended up going to some small school, FCS school, after leaving Miami. Um, Trey Johnson, offensive tackle, three-star. Do you remember Trey Johnson? Not too much. Tyreek Martin, defensive lineman, three-star. Jeff James, three-star safety. I mean, I mean, it shows you. If you miss on that many guys... Okay, you get seven out of the 19 players you signed to actually be worth something. It's terrible. It's a terrible recruiting class, period. It's just you, you, you can't hit. The, your, your hitting percentage cannot be that low. All right, we're going to go to 2017, which this class, by the way, in 2017 was ranked by 247 Sports as the 12th best recruiting class in the country. Okay, we already talked about Jeff Thomas. He was their top recruit. He went undrafted. Um, defensive end, DJ Johnson, transferred to Oregon. He's now a tight end. He was a big-time defensive end. Remember how excited everybody was about DJ Johnson? He got homesick, right? Got homesick to the West Coast. Now he's, he, I think he's, he's basically been switched to, defense, uh, to tight end uh, by Mario Cristobal. Uh, Trajan Bandy, we discussed. Undrafted NFL. DJ Dallas, we discussed. Uh, John Garvin, we discussed. All those guys went early to the draft. Javante- Wait a second. Trajan Bandy, the number one moment. He gave Hurricanes fans a thrill. The, the pick six against Notre Dame. Right. No, we thank him for that. But uh, did not- That was a great... Yes, but, but not, a great ju- and, not a great junior year, and he went undrafted. And DJ Dallas, I'll sign on for a bunch of DJ Dallas's any class because that kid loved being a Hurricane. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sorry to see him go early. Um, that was a that was a good pickup. Uh, you you want a leader like that any day of the week? Okay, I agree. Javante Dean was worth it because he was a JUCO guy. I think he started for you for one year. You got something out of him. Um, mm, not much. Now these are the guys that again nothing. DeAndre Wilder, career-ending neck injury. Three-star linebacker to Carroll City. Uh, Brian Palendi, tight end, three-star tight end, went to Colorado Suppose- State. Bust. Supposed to be a blocker. Right. Yeah, he's, he's not blocking for the Canes. Three-star wide receiver, Evidence Najoku, transferred to UCLA. There was never any evidence that he did anything here. Uh, you got to the line before me. <laughs> <laughs> quarterback, Cade Weldon, right? Uh, his, his father was a quarterback at Florida State. He's now at East Tennessee State. Uh, mm. uh, three-star offensive tackle, Zach Dykstra. I think he's in witness protection. Um, I liked his father, Lenny Dykstra. Right. Although am, I, am I making that you up? You are making that up. Uh, three-star defensive back Derek Smith transferred to Illinois. He was doing well in camp for a while and then just left. Uh, and then Zach Fiegels, who transferred to Rutgers, oh and everybody God. was happy that he left because of how terrible. Oh my God! Was. Um, that was the that was the worst signing of them all. <laughs> so twenty-four guys, thirteen left before you could get four years out of them. I'd say out of those thirteen guys. You'd consider what? Bandy, Jeff Thomas, DJ Dallas, Garvin, Dean. Five guys, good good players, right? Those five? Yeah, and I wouldn't even say Dean wasn't wasn't very good. He remember Dean was a guy that supposedly turned down Alabama. Okay. Eh. And and nothing all right. But he was okay here. He was just all right. He was the worst of that group, probably the five that you But I mean mentioned. as far as contributions, right? Like those five yeah. contributed something. Um 
Right. That's the 2017 class. Now, obviously, there's more guys that they're going to come up in our top 27 list or the only 27 list, the remaining 27 list uh, that we'll put in order here and we'll rank in some way, shape, or form. All right, now let's go to the 2018 class. Um, that was the number eight recruiting class. That was a class that came on the heels of the 10-0 and 0 start, number two national ranking, that 2017 season that, that felt that feels like it was 300 years ago now. Um, that faded to a 10 and 3? Yes, when they faded to 10 and 3. They still signed the number eight recruiting class in the country. 23 players. Of the 23 players in the 2018 class, eight have already transferred out. So 15 mm-hmm. guys are left from that group. I mean, that's scary. You, you, you talk about, oh, they had a top 10 recruiting class. What did they get out of that recruiting class? Again, player development, player uh, happiness, whatever it is, it, it's just not, it was not there. So Lorenzo Lingard, we know he's gone to Florida. He was the five-star kid, okay? Um, four-star quarterback, Jaron Williams. We all know the story. It was a disaster. He's now at Garden City Community College. <laughs> four-star wide receiver, Brian Hightower. All this hype, no delivering. He's now at UCLA. Uh, Marquez Ezard, another four-star receiver, got him out of Georgia. He went back to Georgia, to Georgia Tech. Um, Gregory Rousseau, without a doubt, the best recruit that that Mark Richt era brought in, correct? We agree on that? I mean, there's really mm-hmm. nobody else. Um, he may be the only first-round pick. Um, three-star cornerback Nigel Bethel, kid out of Miami Northwestern, ended up going to Colorado. Never was going to play here. Three-star fullback Realist George, supposedly the number one fullback in the country. Mm-hmm. He's at Independence Community College now. And then, of course... We forgot that the fullback position almost doesn't exist in football anymore. Right. And then you go with three-star kicker Bubba Baxa, who goes to Houston because he couldn't kick a field goal here anymore. So they made a trade. They they sent Bubba Baxa to Houston, and they got De'Ara King and Jared Williams. I think that was a pretty good trade. Um, good trade. Here's what's interesting about this, this uh, group of guys here. At least when they left Miami, would you say some of these guys actually went to Power 5 schools? I see it. UCLA, Florida, Georgia Tech, Colorado. Some of the other guys that you had mentioned previously didn't go anywhere. Um, and and here's the other thing. Okay, I'm trying to defend the Hurricanes here, as I guess is my role. Um, <laughs> when you look at the – because we're looking at Miami, but obviously we're not looking at the whole country. The transfer portal, as we know, it's polluted. It is voluminous. It is stock full, chock full of players. So – I'm I'm assuming it's not just Miami that no. has uh, you know that has guys that leave the program. That's all over the country. If you don't if you don't start, especially at the quarterback position, but now at all positions, if you don't you ain't starting, you departing. We'll be right back after this break. Right, and and that's what happens. Um, and look, I understand the transfer portals out there. Guys are going to leave because they're unhappy. They're not getting on the field. That's what happened with Lorenzo Lingard. Ultimately, he wanted to be on the field. The coaching staff didn't want him to be on the field. Um, Things are going to happen, and it happens everywhere in the country. But, again, you want to point the finger somewhere. You want to say, why is Miami – they're getting all these players. I keep hearing that argument. Everybody says to me, oh, they still recruit. Look at the recruiting class. They're ranked number eight. They're ranked number 12. They're ranked whatever. If you do not do what Clemson and Ohio State and and, and what these other schools do where they develop players and they make them better – you're, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to continue to spin your wheels. You're going to lose to teams uh, like Duke two years in a row. You're going to lose to a 3-9 and nine Georgia Tech team. 
I mean, it, it, it's going to happen where you, you're, you're cutting yourself off. You're just not as good. You're not as deep as you need to be to be a real contender. And that's what's happened to this program. And we've talked about this on this podcast, and I've written about it a ton for The Athletic. I, I just think, Walter, you know, um, it, again, I'm trying to take the lens and put it in a different manner so that we can look at it from an objective and, and see what Manny Diaz has done. And I think the best way to transition to this is this really is Manny Diaz's t- team in year number two, okay? The quarterback is his, right? The starting right tackle is his. The new kicker is his. Um, he's addressed a lot of positions immediately with his last two recruiting classes. Um, and and so 27 guys are left from the quote-unquote Mark Richt era, and we're going to take a look at who those guys are here. I ranked them in order. You can agree or disagree, but I basically ranked them in order of what they're going to do in 2020 or what they're projected to do in terms of contribution. Go ahead. You have a question. Yeah, before you, you get to that, I think – where does this manifest itself? I think, you know, these players leaving early or either leaving early for the NFL or leaving to another school because they got impatient. Where it manifests itself to me is you have a, a first-year freshman in Zion Nelson at left tackle, and I think the other guy at right tackle was also a first-year freshman, and going against two NFL players with the Florida Gators, and they got eaten, mm-hmm. they got eaten alive. Right. And especially – my this is just a philosophical thing. I wonder if you agree, but for me, uh, I want those experienced guys, and the uh, especially the defensive offensive line, especially defensive line, the, the the grunt positions, because you have that quote unquote old man strength of of, of the college game. I guess mm-hmm. you know you can get by with maybe a wide receiver or any back one of those skill position guys, but in the line, you're starting a freshman. That's just a bad bad look. That was a recipe for disaster. And and another problem, Manny, when you you're at you've been at a million one of these signing days, and now this something happens now on signing day that you, especially in Miami, I don't know if it's all around the country that never used to happen. What does a kid say? I'm going to be spending my next three to four years at right. Miami, right? Right. You never used to say three years, right? But now all of everybody says, "Oh, I'm three and done. I'm off to the NFL." The whole mindset of here back in the old days. Even when I met you, it was the mindset was completely different. The mindset was, let me redshirt my first year, get stronger, learn a playbook. Second year, I play a little something, something. Third year in the program, maybe redshirt sophomore, then I'm going to really have a big role. And maybe by fourth year, junior, you're a starter, and then you have two great years. And it was completely different. So how is it Miami? Is that the way the kids are, the way they, the way they think the game? Is that even possible to – to have that mindset that, hey, instead of three years, I'm actually going to be here five. Yeah, I, I think I think what's changed is the pressure to, to deliver and make money for their families. I think and, and, and that right. has led to why you're seeing more guys willing to risk going pro. I had a long conversation with John Beeson about this uh, at the ACC football meetings last year in Charlotte. I, I went out there for the for the preseason press conferences and whatnot. And Beeson, I remember Beeson and I talking about this because of Shaq Quarterman, right? Like, why does Shaq Quarterman come back for his senior mm-hmm. year and the grade and all that kind of stuff? And basically, Beeson has said that, you know, so many of these players think it doesn't matter what I make in my first contract. What matters is the second contract. Because if you're not going to be a first or second round pick, you're not going to make a lot of money in that first contract. Once you're a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick... You're making the, the the minimum, and 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 you're signing a deal that, in the end, they look at it like, okay, it's all about the second deal, and so I think that's what agents have done. I think they've tried to convey this message that, hey, 
yeah, you may not be a first or second rounder, but I'm going to get you that second contract because I'm going to get you with the team that's going to that's going to maximize your your ability and get you paid the second time around. Again, what a sales job. You want a long shot is just to be the NFL in the first place. Now you're talking about getting a second contract and a big contract. You know how, how, what the odds are against that? It, it's astronomical odds. Right. I mean, it's, it's, really cra- it's really crazy talk. To me, they've, they've, they've trained themselves. They're 21 years old, let's say, and they can, they've waited 21, but they can't wait one more until 22. It, it doesn't make any sense. Again, if they're a first-round pick, high-round pick, they should go. They should go. A coach should not get in their way. They, the coach should tell them, son, go to the NFL. But if you're a fourth-round pick, fifth-round pick, seventh-round pick, I mean, you're so expendable at that point in time. And to think you're going to go from seventh-round pick to get a second contract, yeah, can it happen? Yes. But it's really foolhardy to – I mean, at that point, they should really get the degree and they should really have that plan B even more in mind. I, I just think the mindset is off and, and this is going to continue to happen. I don't know if that happens in some other places around the country. Again, I think it's all about the money. It's all about chasing that paycheck and getting yours before you get hurt. Because I think the other the other aspect that the agents sell them on is, well, what if you get hurt your your senior year? Then you could be out any money, you know. And so guys automatically think, let me get that that first initial signing bonus. I'm going to need that money some way, shape, or form. I'm going to get mine. But in the end, it's but, there's not a lot of strategy put into it. You know, I think not a lot of thought that's put into it. You mentioned the degree but, and being able to come back, and I think that's one thing. Um, that's another point of emphasis is all these years, Miami, the Hurricanes, have allowed guys to come back and finish and get their degrees. Right. Okay? It, to a certain extent, other programs haven't done that. I've heard about Florida State, Florida, where uh, they they don't always just pay for everybody to come back and do it. And I think, you know, especially now in, in COVID times and, and sports programs losing a lot of money, it's going to be real interesting to see if that continues. Um, because that's money that's the education has to be paid for, right? If you sign up for a class to come back and graduate, if the sports, um, you know, department, the athletic department isn't going to pay that bill for you, then it's, then you got to pay for it or you got to get financial by, aid or something. By the way, man, you mentioned about the injury, or whatever. I mean, they get injured in the NFL. It's bye-bye also. I mean, there's no guarantee contracts for yeah. 99% of these guys. We just saw. We just saw Curtis Weaver, who had a great career at Boise State, fourth-round pick of the Dolphins, waved injured, waved injured in August, dude. That's it. Goodbye. He Will he ever be anything in this league? Probably not, I'm guessing. Um, but, you know, that can happen also. These guys, if they're not getting in their education, again, Greg Rousseau looks like he's going to be set, but those guys are few and far between right now at the U. Um that whole thing, let me let me run off to the NFL because I might get hurt. Guess what? If you're hurt in camp, like apparently this Curtis Weaver kid was, they're going to forget you as well. Right. Well, let's get to the 27. Um, let's do of it. The, of the guys. that, And, again, I put these guys in order based on what their impact in 2020 is, not what they've done in the past. It's what, what their value is going into the 2020 season. And, and, again, some of these are very debatable. Essentially, when I look at this roster – I see a group of about 20 players that I see, or maybe 22, that are, that'll really provide value. I think the last few are, are kind of end-of-the-bench guys that aren't really going to do much at all, even as you know, veteran returning players. Um, so here's the order. I'm going to go one down to 27. or should we, should we go one to 27 or 27 to one? How do you want to do it, Walter? What do you think makes sense? Um, 
Yeah, go from the bottom up. All right. Well, twenty-seven to one. We're gonna we're gonna start at the bottom. These are guys that are end of the rotation guys that I told you. Zolante Hillary, three-star offensive tackle, was part of the twenty seventeen class. Uh, Cleveland Reed, uh, four-star offensive guard, twenty eighteen. Uh, three-star running back Robert Burns, twenty seventeen, and then four-star offensive tackle Kyle Leon Herbert, twenty seventeen. Of those four guys, Herbert is the only one who really, I think, even has a chance of playing this year uh, because, and, and really, I would say he's he's in the sort of somebody else has to get hurt for him to get on the field type of deal because Jared Williams has come in and basically taken his spot at right tackle. Um, Robert Burns yeah, is the fourth I mean, running back. Cleveland Reed is a guy who transferred, who was going to transfer out, decided to stay, and then Zelante Hillary is a guy that Kelvin Harris can't even say his name because he, he dislikes <laughs> him so much. Go ahead. It's interesting in this group of four guys here. Robert Burns, a kid at Gulliver who was hurt all the time at Gulliver. They took a flyer on him thinking, well, he's going to be healthy. He, you know, I saw his highlights. Oh, this guy's going to be good when he gets healthy. And he's never been healthy. Poor guy. I guess he a little bit last year. He, he, he played a little bit. So they took a gamble there on that kid. Right. And, and obviously Gulliver, (laughs) they're they're still trying to find an ex Sean Taylor out out of Gulliver, I think. Um, Cleveland Reed, he came in with with uh, with some good credentials. I thought he was going to be good, and that's a mystery what happened. And the same thing with Herbert. Uh, came from a good pro- um, program. I want to say American Heritage, right? Right. Herbert had a shoulder injury, torn labrum. He had surgery on it, and then you know he had another year where he came in. He wasn't great, but really last year when he got on the field against Duke, it was embarrassing. I mean, he got destroyed <laughs> in that game and ended up playing in the bowl game as well, and it was just – you could see a guy who either his confidence just wasn't there or like just his head wasn't in it. It just, it's been a disaster. And then Cleveland Reed left uh, and then decided to come back. So that hurt him missing all of last year, pretty much. Um, Do you think Manny doesn't spend too much on the bottom four of this list, but Robert Burns, was that a gamble you would have made given that I guess when he was healthy, he looked good, but he was injury. I mean, was that a good gamble or a bad one? Not, not just playing the result, but, at the time, did yeah, you think that I, was a good I, I don't have a problem with them taking. A, he's a good academic kid, a good character kid. Um, I, I think the issue with him was just was he going to be healthy enough to really become a contributor, and what kind of role did you have for him? I mean, I look at him and I say maybe he ends up like uh, like Trayon Gray, right, who, who became valuable at the end of his career as a Chocolate. fullback, right? Chalk, uh, you know, where he's where he's coming off and, and doing a couple of things for you on special teams and. Fourth and one, maybe that was the kind of role that you would get for Robert Burns. But, you know, in the end, it's a scholarship that has basically gone unused. Um, right. All right. 23, I had Patrick Joyner, who was three-star defensive end out of South Dade High School in 2018. I think he still has a chance to provide some value in his career. He's moved to linebacker, obviously hurt, missed almost all of last season before coming back late in the year. Um, but I, I look at him and I see that he might end up getting passed on the depth chart by some of the other linebackers on this team that they've recruited. Um, Jordan Miller, three-star defensive tackle, 2018. He's a guy who I think has played some, um, but he's kind of the third, fourth, fifth best defensive tackle on the team, which means you're part of the rotation, but you're not really part of the rotation. But Jordan Miller was a guy that didn't come in with a lot of hype. You have him down at three-star. That was a guy that they were going to build. Remember in basketball, Julian Gamble, who I just talked to the other day, mm-hmm. the guy that was a pro, is a program guy that is not going to be a media guy. So maybe it's a guy he does stick around all four or five years, and then maybe towards the end of the career he might give you something. That's a guy that they I think they projected was going to take a minute. Right. 
At 21, I have Nikosi Perry. And the reason I have Nikosi all the way down here, he's a four-star quarterback, obviously has started, I think, 11 games in his career here. I think he's 6-5 and five as a starter. Uh, is obviously because De'Ara King is, this is De'Ara King's team, and Nikosi Perry is only going to play if there's garbage time. The other reason is I really think that eventually um, Tyler Van Dyke is, is going to be in position to take over if he can show um, – Rhett Lashley that he's that he's ready to be the, the quarterback in 2021, but I I, th- I still think you can get value out of Nikosi. I think he's a good backup quarterback, um, but I, I, I to me I would I would prefer to see what Tyler Van Dyke can do, and we'll see we'll see what happens. We'll see if 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 Nikosi beats him out for the starting job in 21, assuming of course that Derek King decides not to come back. Which I think if they play this season, why would he not go pro? Um, not 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 many teams have. Uh... Not many teams have a backup quarterback as good as Nikosi that's actually won college football games for you. So I, I think you've got him a little bit too low on the list. Right now I got – For that reason. That's fine. And, and, and you know, again, it's only because I think – and I'm looking at this from a production standpoint. What are you going to get out of them in 2020? Um, number Not what he's done in his career? No, I didn't do it so much in the career because you'll notice I have Navon Donaldson a couple rows up here. And he's started close to 30 games in his career. But the reason I have him down here is because he's being redshirted. He probably won't play until the end of the season. Um, and, and and the redshirt, by the way, was the plan coming in. Now, obviously, with the changes in the NCAA rules, the, he could play when he wants. But I do know that he's still not 100%. He is recovering from that knee injury, did not even start camp. So their vision for him was eventually later in the year to bring him back, maybe in November, to, to play uh, maybe even just as a backup or depending on what happens with other injuries to other guys. So um, anyway, but we're skipping ahead. I skipped two guys, Wayman Steed, who I had here, three-star linebacker, two major knee injuries in his career, uh, 2017 recruit, missed all of last year. We've heard good things out of him in this camp. I think he's a guy who's going to play a lot on special teams, be a part of the rotation at the end of games, but I don't see him as a, as a major contributor unless – there's an injury to to one of the two starting linebackers. Then he might have his role elevated. Um, at 19, I have Mark Pope, and I know people are looking at me and saying, "Man, Mark Pope's a starter. He should be putting up huge numbers." And and what? Look, again, I I, I think Mark Pope has the chance to jump up higher, but I think it's been two very disappointing first seasons at Miami because he was a very ballyhooed. I mean, he's the Barry Jackson word, very ballyhooed <laughs> recruit, right out of Miami Southridge. And we've heard you got to say you got to say that word nerdier if you're going to do Barry Jackson. Ballyhooed. Um, he is. Look, he could jump up in this list, but again, and it's funny because he tweeted something out the other day. That says it feels great to have people who believe in me. Okay, that's great. I'm glad the coaching staff believes in you, but let, make the rest of us believe in you. Make us <laughs> make the rest of us see what what we haven't seen yet. And and so I think Mark Pope has a chance to to be a good player at Miami. But I got to see him do it, and and really, there's been no mention of him in either of the first two scrimmages. So that's not a. They won't believe in him long if right. uh, if he's not putting up numbers. Right. I have uh, Navon Donaldson next at number eighteen, uh, four star offensive tackle out of twenty seventeen. He was their top recruit uh, that year. Um, the the thing about Navon is, look, he played overweight last year. He's got a weight problem. He's got to get the weight down if he's ever going to make it and really be the kind of player that he was as a freshman. I think as a freshman, he came in did really really well. Obviously didn't have as much pressure on him. Um, but now there's other guys that have passed him on this depth chart. And coming back from a knee injury, a serious knee injury that he had, it's going to take him some time. I, I think you can look at Navon Donald and say it's good that he's around, but I don't think he's going to mean much this season. Um, 
17, four-star defensive back Gilbert Frierson. Okay, here's a guy who could very well be the starting striker, um, or he could not. He could end up getting passed up um, at that position uh, by uh, Kayvon, uh, is it Kayvon? No, what is it? Smith. Smith, yes. Keontra Smith, sorry. Um, Keontra Smith. And and so that I have him at 17. Don't look at that as a reflection of what I think of him as a player because I think he could be a good player. He's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, taking over that Romeo Finley role. I think this is the part where once you hit number 17, it starts to elevate, you know, in terms of roles and what guys are doing here. Um, Number 16, four-star tight end Will Mallory. The only reason I have Will down here is because he's the second tight end, and and Brevin is still the number one guy. We know that this offense is going to put a lot of receivers on the field. We know that Will's had a great scrimmage and all that, but again, uh, Brevin Jordan is a Mackey finalist. I think he's still going to get the bulk of the snaps at, at tight end when the tight ends are out there. And they could be using a lot of two tight end sets. So. They could. They could. So, again, I, I think all – honestly, the first 17 guys, they're all guys that are good players, that are meaningful players for Miami. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, D. Wiggins, uh, I have him 15th. He's the outside burner, um, the guy who's supposed to create the big play for you. He did it against Florida State. But really, D. Wiggins has had one or two good games at Miami, and that's about it. Um, I, I've got to see more out of him. I think we've heard a lot about the freshman, Keyshawn Smith. We've heard a lot about Xavier Restrepo. Um, and I think there's a chance that he's the kind of guy that if he doesn't show up week one and start to really contribute, um, he could fade out of the rotation or, or get passed up. Um, you know, Jeremiah Payton is out there as well, another redshirt freshman guy that they're excited about. So, But but just the fact that, that this kid, D. Wiggins, is ranked ahead of Mark Pope is, you know, if we were having this conversation uh, two years ago, it's a shocker. I mean, it isn't a shocker now because we've seen what's happened, but Mark Pope was supposed to be miles ahead of D. Wiggins and miles ahead of most receivers, and he's just been a huge disappointment. Um, 14 and a half, four-star cornerback DJ Ivy, okay, who was, of course, D. Wiggins' teammate. Uh, DJ is going to be the number two cornerback on this team this year, should be the number two cornerback on this team based on what's coming back from last year and, and the fact that he started six games. Um, but the issue with DJ Ivy is he falls asleep at times and, and he's given up some big plays. And, yes, he was a sophomore and, and you're going to have growing pains, but he's got to take a step up this year. And he's to me, you know, if, if you're coming into this year handicapping the cornerback position in terms of returning guys, Al Blades is definitely above him in terms of what he did last year compared to DJ Ivy. Um all right, Bradley Jennings Jr., I have him at 13. He could be your starting middle linebacker. Uh, depends on how things are going to shake out here. Um, but he could very well be your starting middle linebacker with Zach McLeod at weak side linebacker. And then, you know, Sam Brooks kind of backing them up. But Bradley's had, a, a you know, again, another guy coming off of a major injury. I was 15, 20 feet away from him when he tore his groin and, and really ugly injury in that spring game at Charles Powell Stadium april 2019 and it looked like man when is this kid going to come back and he didn't come back last year but we've heard nothing but great things about him in camp um how he's running with the ones how he looks really really good i think he's going to be your starting middle linebacker the only reason i have him this low is because i still think it's not 100 percent certain that he's going to get every snap i think you're going to see sam brooks in there some and you're going to see zach mcleod playing some middle linebacker some you're going to see a rotation at that middle linebacker position but again bradley jennings is a guy that can move up this list I think that's too high for Bradley Jennings. He hasn't proven anything. I, I mean, uh, I put him right next to Wayman Steed, but go ahead. All right. Uh, Nesta Silvera, defensive tackle, four-star. He's your projected starter next to John Ford. Um, 
Nesta's a guy who, who came in very highly touted, yeah, missed yes. the first four games last year because of a foot injury. And really, when you go back and you look, there weren't many moments where he flashed last year, okay? Um, and, and I don't know if that part of that was the foot injury. I don't know if part of that was just sophomore still getting adapted. I think he's going to have a much better year this year. Uh, again, I said the top 17 guys in my eyes are all sort of interchangeable. They can all rise right now is the way I, this is the way I see it. But I think he was supposed to dominate, Manny. Right. He was supposed, he was supposed to, dominate, to dominate, and he hasn't done it yet. Okay. Nope. Um, Amari Carter, number 11. He's a three-star safety, 2017. Obviously, Bubba Bolden, I think, makes his role interesting because they're going to rotate three safeties. That's um, that's what we've basically learned. They're going to have three guys rotating at that safety spot between him, Gervin Hall, and Bubba Bolden. And you got the three freshmen behind them. Mark Carter, this is his senior year. He's got to deliver. I, th- I think he will be the starting rover. You'll have Gervin Hall at free safety, and then you'll have Bubba backing them up at both positions or rotating in at both positions. Last year, Miami had four safeties that they rotated in. This year, it's basically three. So he's. it's important that Amari Carter stays healthy and has a good year. Could could uh, could Carter could Amari play striker perhaps? Yeah, we we asked that question and uh, in, in the Zoom meetings this past week, and basically we're t- was the answer was he's focusing on safety. So I think the only way you would see him at strikers if the two guys that are there now really struggle and really are not doing could, a good job. And, and Gilbert Fryerson and to. Keontra Smith. Could they go to some kind of a, a zone where they're playing two corners and you know usually play two corners and a, they could and a, play and three. They could play three corners mm. and three safeties. Yes, I think there's no doubt mm. there could be situations where they do that. But I think the reason they won't is to keep them fresh. Because think mm-hmm. about it. I mean, if you're rotating guys in and out at, at both of those safety spots um, and rotating them in and out, then then somebody's going to stay fresh on the sideline. If there's a couple bad plays or a long run or whatever it is where somebody needs to come out for a play, you can you can substitute them and, and not have somebody who's winded out there. Um, all right, the top 10. Mike Harley, I put him 10th. He had two touchdown catches in the first scrimmage. He's your one of your leading receivers in terms of catches and experience coming back. I think Mike's issue has always been speed. He's just not a burner. He's a slot receiver, possession receiver. Um, and again, Xavier Restrepo is putting the heat on all those guys. I think with hmm. what he's doing in camp. So, um, but I think Mike's going to be a contributor. He's a senior. He's a leader in that room. Can I ask you something there? Yeah. Uh, Restrepo did not did did not put up big numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he was at Deerfield Beach and he was a teammate of the Rooster, right? Correct. And is it surprising that he's he's doing this now? Because this is not a guy. Yeah, well, the, I mean, this is quick. This is happening for him. This is a handpicked guy by Manny Diaz, to be honest. Um, Man, this is a Manny Diaz recruit, and um, I think you know he's a guy who, when he played at Monarch High School, he, listen, he played for three different high school teams: Monarch, St. Thomas Aquinas, and then Deerfield. Um, mm-hmm. He played defense, offense, special teams. He was all over the field. And a really dynamic talent, a, a Braxton Berrios built like player, um, who does a lot of things for you. And I think more than anything, it's the football IQ. He's just a really smart kid. And I think the reason he's excelling now is because he's listening to what they want and he understands what they want at the position. And you know, I, I don't, I don't want to criticize all of the other receivers and categorize them as guys who don't understand what's happening. But certainly, that was an issue last year where. The, the route concepts and things that uh, 
that the, the coaching staff was asking them to do, they didn't comprehend. I think Braxton, uh, Braxton Berrios, I think Xavier Restrepo is very comfortable in his own skin and he knows what he's doing. And I think that's why he's looking good right now. If physically, is he, you mentioned Harley's not a burner. Is he faster than Harley? He's faster than Harley, yes. Interesting. Um, all right, number nine, John Ford, defensive tackle, 13-game starter last year. Um, he had to lose some weight before camp started. I think he had a little bit of a conditioning issue in the beginning, but he came back in scrimmage number two and looked really, really good. And I think he's a guy who's ready to be your, your true number one defensive tackle. One thing about Miami, they had their best uh, season in terms of run defense last year since 2006. And and obviously Shaq Cordham and Michael Pickney helped that with their tackling and not missing so many tackles. But I think John Ford is really the reason because he is a run stuffer in the middle. He doesn't get a lot of sacks. He doesn't create a lot of negative plays, but he gets a lot of attention, which allows the defensive ends to do their thing. Um, Corey Gaynor, returning starter at center. I have him eighth. He's a three-star kid who really they've maximized him. He, he came out of Douglas, wasn't very highly touted, and now he's your starting center going for, for going on two years, potentially three years next year in 2021. John Campbell is going to be your starting left tackle. He's a three-star offensive uh, tackle recruit out of the Orlando area. Campbell had a real issue last year with the previous coaching staff in terms of um, the offensive line coach. I think they just didn't get see eye to eye. He's just kind of the sixth guy. He's really talented, can dunk a basketball. Him and Zion Nelson um, are both athletic enough to dunk on 10-foot rims. And I've seen videos of this kid like doing windmill jams and all kinds of stuff. And he is uh, talented, and I know that Garen Justice really, really, really likes him a lot. I think he's responded well to Garen Justice, and I think people think he's going to have a good year at the left tackle spot. Um, and he's a third-year player, by the way. Um, Al Blades Jr., I have him sixth. Uh, he's a four-star kid. Obviously, he's your number one cornerback on this team. I think top six on the team is pretty good among you know the returning guys. Um, fifth, I know this might surprise you, but I have Brevin Jordan fifth. Um, I know he was a Mackey finalist. The only reason I have Brevin this low, and, and again, I know he played in the last scrimmage, he had four catches. The injury that he had at the end of last season with the foot, okay, that cost him at the end of the year where he was in and out and in and out. Um, I don't know how healthy he is. I don't know that he's truly 100%. I got to see it. I got to see the kid go out and be the same Brevin Jordan. Um, I'm not questioning him in terms of his talent or his ability. I think he is a first or second round pick if he has a great year. I just think right now in the beginning, in the early going of this season, it's going to be – I'm very interested to see what he does against UAB and how, how good he looks with, with whatever happened to his foot at the end of the year. Um, <clears throat> sorry. And now the top four. Um, Gervin Hall, I put fourth. He's your leading tackler, starting returning safety. Cam Harris – uh, third, you're starting running back. And then I put DJ Scaife, you're starting right guard, second. And then Zach McLeod, number one, um, who is going to be the anchor, the quarterback of your defense uh, at that weak side linebacker spot. So, again, I think a lot of those guys are interchangeable. You can flip-flop them. It's not so much the order uh, per se. I think it's more of how do you, where do you categorize these guys. And so, essentially, out of the 27 guys who – are part of the the Mark Richt recruiting classes that are still at Miami. I think how many of those guys do you have full confidence in, Walter? How many of those guys of those twenty seven do you think are drafted? Mm, good question. Drafted. Brevin Jordan. Mm-hmm. He'd be your top one top guy. 
I think um, Cameron Harris is too small. Running backs are a dime a dozen. I don't see him getting drafted probably. Um, you know, geez. <laughs> um, you know, Blades comes from good stock, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm looking down this list here. It's a whole lot of maybes right now. I mean, Nesta Silvera, if he lives up to his potential. Um there's a lot of maybes. I think you kind of hit the key word, right? I mean, that's yeah. And, and what does that tell you? Yet again, when we recap and you look, and I know we're hitting an hour here on this podcast, we got to start wrapping this up soon. But when you when you go back and you recap everything that's happened with these recruiting classes, now that we've completely summarized it, broken it down from every perspective, I mean, how do you feel about the, those three recruiting classes that Mark Rick put together? Disappointment? Would you give them an F grade? Would you give them a D grade? A C grade? How would you sort of characterize what's happened? It's hard to say as we wrap this up. It's hard to say without comparing them to uh, Florida, Florida State, for example, just to keep it, you know, in the state and see how, how how many defections they had. It would be interesting if some of these kids stuck around to see how that would affect the the grade too. You know, the guys that left early and um, and and whatnot. Um, but but yeah, when you when Zach McLeod is your number one guy, DJ Scaife, I mean, those are those are nice program guys, but they're not. Those are those are not big names in terms of college football. No, I would say I, I think Zach McLeod gets drafted. I think he's probably a third day guy. I think DJ Scaife gets drafted. He's a third day guy. I think Cameron Harris gets drafted. He's a third day guy. I think Gervin mm. Hall gets drafted. Probably a third, maybe a second day guy. Jordan, a second or third day guy. Uh, Blades, a third day guy. Again, nobody who is a first day, first round pick lock. Um, and, and we know that. No, Brevin Jordan has has a chance. He's got a chance. I think, I think he he's a, a second or third day guy. I mean, the, the point is it's not the elite recruits. And and, no. and when you break down the roster, I think that's what you kind of have to look at. You know, when you start measuring how good are these guys going to be, um, Miami will be Miami again when you start saying, man, that's a first-round pick. Man, that's a second-round pick. Man, that's a first. When, you, when you're saying that about five, six, seven, eight guys – then you're going to say the talent level is where it needs to be. And, and more than anything, this whole venture of the last two podcasts, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to take an objective, big-picture look at what's happened, analyze it from a realistic perspective of what the expectations should be for this roster, and, and to and to just talk about it, to break it down in a different way that you haven't read elsewhere or heard elsewhere. Uh, Walter, any final thoughts, man? Did I depress you? I mean, you, I know you uh, you got that green and orange flu. I mean, are you still excited about the season, or did is this oh, yeah. sobering? I'm, I'm or you, ex- how do you how do you what's your what are your thoughts as we wrap up? I'm very excited about the season. I think the Hurricanes. Uh, this is a scoop. I'm going to tell you about. They're going to poach uh, several players from Ohio State's uh, roster. This is Ohio State has no need for football at the moment, yes. and uh, and that's what's going to happen. <laughs> well, let me ask you. Let's let's do something interesting here before we wrap up. Which top ten do you take here? Which which set of players is a better top ten? Okay, uh, the Mark Rick top ten, which is McLeod, Scaife, Cameron Harris, Gervin Hall, Brevin Jordan, Al Blades, John Campbell, Corey Gaynor, John Ford, Mike Harley. Those are your or, top, those are my top ten. Or do you take De'Eric King, Jalen Phillips, Quincy Roche, Jared Williams, Jose Borregales, Jalen Knighton, Bubba Bolden? Usman Treyor, who's going to be your left guard, Lou Headley, and Sam Brooks. Yeah, you kind of lost me there at the last three. But the, the first seven is a pretty good list. The first seven, is that better than the other seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Usman Treyor is number eight. Eh. Uh, but the first the first seven, yeah, I, I, 
I think that's a better list. I mean, this is not. Um, but look, uh, as we wrap up, you know, I thought I came to Manny Diaz's defense last year, one year um, with him in charge is unfair. I think we've seen a lot of good things on the recruiting front, and that's um, that's reason for hope. He, you know, you, you mentioned how he, not just the recruits he got, but how he addressed the staff, bringing Ed Reed, bringing those other guys. Um, so I, I, I think we got to, you know, any fair assessment. Now, that may not work. If he has a terrible year, he may get fired. I mean, who knows? But really, to be fair, you got to give the guy at least three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any, not just Manny Diaz, any coach around the country. So I, I thought one year in, while it was an embarrassing year by hurricane standards, it's too early to tell. Let's see what happens this year. Let's see if we have a football season. Well, essentially, 47 of the guys on the roster are his, 27 are Mark Ricks. So if you if you sit there and you do the math, how they came together as far as recruits, 47 are his and 27 are Mark Ricks. Yeah, but but a lot of those 47 are still babies. You know what I mean? Right. They're still right. they're still puppies in the program, and right. you got to give them time to, for them to to grow. Yep. Well, this was fun, Walter. Thank you for uh, for filling in for uh, for Calvin, who would have said fourteen and zero at least twelve times in this conversation. Um, and and you were objective, and it was fun. And, and for everybody who stuck around to listen to dorky sports writers talk football, I appreciate it. We'll be back next week with more wide right. Season starts September 10th, folks. Get ready. It's happening. Kane's cartel coming through. Tell me what these other teams gonna do. Orange or green, on your screen. Hit with a full head of steam. Come